Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Templo Talk, a Mayans MC podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike D'Angelo. And this is the podcast where we talk about everything Mayans, which has just aired its second to last ever episode. Mike, are you doing okay after the death of Elio and the Amigos dream? It it hit me hard, but not, not the hardest I was hit this episode. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, it's an episode nine where they leave you and you're just like, fuck. Yep. Yep. The Elio death, you know, is almost kind of an afterthought, which is very sad, but also fitting for Mayans. But we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, for this episode, we're going to cover the, lat- the latest installment of Mayan season five, which is titled I Must Go In Now for the Fog is Rising. This is the penultimate episode of Mayans as we only have one week left before the finale. So I got to say, personally, I think this episode delivered in a number of ways, including more deaths, as we mentioned, but also a surprising cameo from a Forgotten Sons character, which was kind of cool. One you definitely did not expect to pop up in in any episode, let alone this one. Yeah, I'll have to talk about that. (laughs) I may have been spoiled, but uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. As always, we're going to break down the new episode, talk about what happened, what it means uh, as we enter the home stretch of the series. Then at the end of the discussion, stick around, because as always, I have another interview to share. This time I got to speak with Sarah Bolger, who plays Emily Galindo on the show. I've been fortunate enough to have several discussions with Sarah prior to this while I was at ATX Fest last month. But this time we got to sit one-on-one and actually kind of dive deep into Emily and uh Sarah shares quite a bit of insight into what makes the character tick and why she's in the position she finds herself in now in season five. Uh, so stick around for that at the end of the episode. It's pretty great. And if you have, you know, a wife who just happens to have a birthday, she'll send you a birthday message for for said wife, <laughs> apparently. I'm still jealous of that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I have become kind of friendly with a, a few members of the cast. And my wife recently celebrated a birthday. And uh, Sarah Bolger, among uh, several others, including Clayton Cardenas and Frankie Loyal, all sent my wife birthday messages, uh, birthday videos, which is really cool and very sweet of them. So, yes. And I'm not hurt at all. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, but before we get to our discussion of this episode, I got to tell you that the Templo Talk is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, Deep Focus, the Discourse, Binge Worthy, and more. If you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite shows. 
Also, uh, I do want to do one more bit of admin before we get to the discussion. Next week is going to be a little different here. We are going to have just our regular episode where Mike and I talk about the finale, which we'll have plenty and plenty to talk about. Uh, and then I'm also going to have an interview on that episode. This time it's our, it's going to be with Clayton Cardenas, who plays Angel. But then uh, I'm going to have a second episode air next week where I do my annual sit down with Elgin James and we talk about the finale of Mayans, except obviously this time uh, it's going to be a bit more meaningful and a little bit more sad since this is the end. But uh, are you two going to cry? Probably. Yeah, I've I've been lucky <laughs> enough to speak with Elgin at the ends of seasons three and four, uh, and they've all been great episode or great discussions. So I'm excited to see what he has to say about uh the end of the series as a whole so next week uh two episodes of templo talk to finish things off so there you go huzzah huzzah so all right without any further ado let's get into this this starts immediately well almost immediately after the events of last episode where it ended with bottles and garo uh going to the broken saints club to check on everything and discovering that it had been blown up and we pick up the next morning and the two of them are in the back of a truck covered in soot and kind of just speechless. And they go back and alert Easy. And as you might expect, Easy is shocked. But we also find out that uh, Elio had died. Um, yeah. We will just skip ahead a little bit here because what happens is Easy, as you might expect, immediately gets on his bike and heads over to the Broken Saints. And, uh, Again, not surprisingly, they are unhappy to see Easy because we find out that a couple of their sisters had died, uh, including other workers and other people that were in the the cookhouse. Uh, and we get confirmation because we see Elio's body on the ground. He is dead. Uh, so what do you think about, about that? I mean, not surprising, right? Yeah, it's not surprising. I was hoping, you know, since we didn't see him last episode that Elio somehow made it out and yeah. that bottles in Elio's day off may live to to survive and, and spin off another day. But sadly, no, we are one person down from Bottles and Elio's Day Off, the spinoff that I was hoping for. Unless they do a weekend at Bottles or a weekend at <laughs> Elio's. <laughs> yes. Uh, Bottles would... is so heartbroken. He can't let Elio die. So they have one more weekend. Uh, that or he's just trying out other cooks, you know, <laughs> drug cooks, and they're just he's not finding the groove that he and Elio found so quickly. Okay, we we shouldn't poke fun at a at a sad death in the show, but that would be hilarious. <laughs> I would I would I would watch that skit. But yeah, so the 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 general fallout is they don't have a place to cook, they don't have anything to cook or a place to cook. The Broken yeah. Saints absolutely want nothing to do with the Mayans and and say so much. Um, they tell Easy the next time he comes back. She, uh, this is not the first time that Easy's been threatened uh, in this particular way. Next time you show up, I'm gonna put a bullet in your head. And uh, we also find out that Johnny Panic, the leader of the Broken Saints, uh, we don't we don't get any sort of like final final resolution in this episode, but we do see that she is uh, probably what on the she, outs. Yeah, was she pistol whipped at the end there? Yeah. What the hell with that? <laughs> yeah, she gets hit in the in the head with like the butt of a rifle. So. <laughs> We can only assume what that's going to lead to. Uh, not good things for her as the the entire Broken Saints, their whole world just gets upended by the Mayans. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, like she said, you invite the devil in, the devil's going to come to collect. Yeah. Yeah. The devil did. <laughs> then we go to uh, some more sad fallout. This time it's Angel and Maverick at Felipe's house. 
Felipe is really stepping up here. He like cleans out a room for Angel and Maverick to live in. He's talking about cleaning closets out. Basically saying, you know, you guys are going to be here for the long haul. And they get there's this really sweet and, and somewhat sad discussion between Angel and Felipe where Angel's just like, you know, how did you deal with, you know, the loss of your wife? And Elia or not Elia, I'm sorry, Felipe says, uh, you know, they're all memories and and she's still here with us and, and all the nice things. And then um, Angel says something really sad. He says, how am I supposed to tell him, Maverick, that we weren't good enough for Luisa to stay? And Felipe says, you don't. You tell him that his mother loved him more than anything in the entire world. And a mother's love is uh, a, mo- a boy without a mother's love turns hard. Don't let him be like us. Yeah. Oh, heavy, mm-hmm. heavy stuff. Yeah. That don't let him be like us moment was yeah that that hurt <laughs> yeah i mean it all goes back to kind of the the reyes men's curse right there's that right. it's been going on for for years now but it's this idea that the men are are doomed and and here we have angel who now is without a partner raising another reyes man and uh yeah sad stuff yeah for sure we then get we get this kind of weird sort of scene, couple scenes with Emily and the bodyguard. In one scene, Emily is is watching Miguel play with their son, and she thanks the bodyguard for helping helping her pick up kind of the the mess that she created when she murdered that lady. And the guy says something. Well, if Mister Glindo ever has a problem, I'm always the one that makes it go away, which <laughs> makes Emily do a little bit of a double take. Uh, yeah, you see a light bulb go off, which you're wondering what what's going on there. I mean, they they kind of hint at it in the previously on, but it's the idea that this is Emily finally puts it together that this is probably the guy who murdered her sister. Um, oh, I didn't get, I didn't catch that. Yeah, okay. that's 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 what I thought when I saw it because of the the previously on, because you know she still hasn't reckoned with the idea that Miguel did order a hit out on her sister. Um, oh wow! And if this is the guy who does the dirty work, then. You know, interesting. Uh, we get one more scene with Emily a little later where she's setting up cameras for their home, which is fine. It's, you know, a whatever thing. And uh, the guy is a bit of a dick, not the bodyguard, but the guy setting up the cameras who's like, you know, what are you doing? And she's like clearly wanting like specific angles. And uh, <laughs> the bodyguard just holds on to the, the ladder that the, the installer's on and says, just do what she says, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty great. Yeah. We then get, what is kind of the driving force of the drama in this episode, which is, again, more fallout from last episode where uh, Isaac comes back to his clubhouse after Boston Terry kind of shot people and let Letty and Hope leave. And we find that that Boston Terry's plan seems to have worked. His plan being that he sets up this scene where the Mayans had come in, guns blazing, broke out Hope and uh, just shot him once in the arm. The guys are kind of dubious of this story. But the good news for Terry is that Isaac's otherwise distracted because his brother Packer, who was one of the presidents of Mayans or um, presidents of sons, finally passed away due to his cancer. So Isaac is in a bad way, which uh, Isaac in a good way is scary. Isaac in a bad way <laughs> is uh, even more of a loose cannon. Right. Yeah. So, he's off the deep end in this episode for sure. He really is. You can tell that. That he, it seems to me that he thinks that kind of things are falling apart. He doesn't have hope anymore. The the woman, not the the term. Um, and both probably. Both, yeah. But he he his idea was to kind of get hope kind of hooked again and under his his thumb again. But then that doesn't work out. And then 
On top of that, you know, the Mayans have have supposedly gone in and murdered a bunch of civilians and then, you know, his brother dies and he's just he's ready for some revenge. And he says so much. He wants to uh, let the Mayans know the pain of losing a brother. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And there's only one brother that we've said don't touch the whole season. <laughs> uh, what did you think when you when you heard him say that? Because obviously he's talking about either Angel or Easy, right? Were you just like, ah, oh, shit? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're in episode nine. You expect it to come to a head somehow, and you knew that you know Angel and Maverick were going to have to be the people that get put in the crosshairs because they're the most innocent out of all this. Easy has it coming, and the real way to punish Easy is to have angel be punished, you know, Yeah, yeah. or lose angel altogether. Um, so yeah. And, and that definitely could happen, which I'm hoping against hope that that does not happen. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, it, that was my thought exactly is, Oh God, he's talking about angel. Oh God. What about Maverick? Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. But we pause for a minute <laughs> because we get the the scene where we're starting to see the wheels in motion with the whole deputy inspector general, uh, Dana Delaney, Miguel, and Potter, where Miguel's been kind of hemming and hawing about this idea of, you know, I guess becoming a rat and turning in Potter and therefore getting immunity for him and his family. And that kind of finally starts to play out where... Miguel says, hey, I'll help you take Lincoln Potter down. I'll even give you all the the dirty little details and all the evidence you need. But you need to give me immunity and my wife immunity, which Dana Delaney says, why does Mrs. Galindo need immunity? And he says, <laughs> we're just trying to survive, which I think is, is kind of great. But uh, yeah, we we start to see that. And I'll just continue with that thread a little bit because that kind of plays out in an interesting way where we see that the little bit of evidence he seems to give Dana Delaney to prove that he's on the up and up is information about Potter's wife, which we learned about, I want to say that was season four, maybe three, where we learned that Potter in one of his missions fell in love with a witness, took her off grid, started a family, but kept everything hush hush, uh, mm -hmm. which is which is a major no-no. And and she has this great scene at a fruit stand or a vegetable stand where Lincoln kind of you could see him kind of squirm, right? Yep. Where he's not, like, not, what not the squirm, fuck are you like, doing? Yeah, he went hard to the paint. <laughs> like he, he went from zero to I will fucking end your life. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of great in the sense that we don't get to see that because Potter is always in control. He's always there with a witty a story or a joke or something, you know, and this is the first time you see him where he's like, what the fuck are you doing? I will kill you. And, and, and Dana Delaney to her credit, she's just like, bring it, dude. I'm going to destroy your family, everything. So yeah, mm -hmm. that all kind of plays out with, cause we'll just, we'll just skip to the final scenes there where the deputy inspector, obviously very pleased with the information she gets from Miguel. She calls him up and says, you've got a deal. And, then we get, we'll just skip to the to end end here. We get Lincoln Potter's response to that, which is kind of mysteriously and interestingly, he goes to Creeper's lady, Cody, a.k.a. Katie, and says, look, you fucked up. You're on the outs. You're an addict. Your life's spiraling out of control. I can give you purpose. Join up with me and we'll figure it out. And you put it in a nice way because the whole time the conversation's happening. I'm like, he's negging the shit out of her right now. <laughs> like constantly like 
calling her a piece of shit and being like, but I can save you, you know, that's kind of his MO, right? He paints a picture like you're, I'm your only hope. You, you're a piece of shit. All you can do is say yes to me. Um, (laughs) Which she does. Did you figure out what the hell the dog thing was about? No, (laughs) I think he just liked watching it. (laughs) (laughs) She even calls it out as like his dog fetish or dog bite fetish. It's just like, there's, what is it? It's like, she says it's the middle of the night. It looks like it's like one or two in the morning. They're mm-hmm. sitting at a bench, a random bench in a random park, watching a police dog just chasing a man in a dog suit. You know, it's just so strange. Yeah. Just imagine all the lead up to it. Like, okay, sir, we have the, the attack dog training set up at uh, 1 PM. He's like, make it AM. <laughs> like, why, why do you need this? Just, oh, and by the way, I need you to go to this lady's house and wake her up and drag her out of her house. Yeah. And bring lotion uh, <laughs> and a six pack of beer. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you wake up at one in the morning or two in the morning, and you're tossing and turning, just know that Lincoln Potter might be out there watching a dog attack some dude for no reason, having a beer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh the end result of this discussion is basically Lincoln Potter says you are on the right track with wanting to take easy down I need to take the minds down which I assume is Lincoln's way of saying like I need some I need to do something big whether he says I think he says like I just needed a win and his win right now is to take down the Mayans and Katie kind of holds the keys right like she knows yep. that easy's the rat and she says I I will do this as long as easy dies Sadly, she takes a drink, uh, which you have to assume just means that she's ruining her sobriety for this. And blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's so that it's a convert. Everything with Lincoln Potter is layers, right? Like yeah. you kind of have to watch his discussions twice. And uh, I did. I watched this episode twice already. And and yeah, the second time I'm like, oh shit, yeah. She just takes the beer and says, okay, I'm in. Yeah. So he he knows she's an addict. So he's knowingly like kicking her oh, yeah. off the wagon to make oh, her yeah. more vulnerable. Because he doesn't man. care, man. These are what just good bodies guy. to him. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, as evil as Isaac is, like Isaac has a code. I don't think Lincoln has a code. Yeah, I don't know. They're they're pretty even as far as what they'll do to secure their victories. Yeah, I guess we'll see. That that kind of uh, ties up the Inspector General Lincoln Potter, Potter stuff. So let's get to the easy stuff. So yeah, easy has an interesting episode. <laughs> he does. He's kind of the meat of this episode, which he should be right. Like this is all kind of coming uh, to a close and, and he's at the center of everything. And so he's driving back after feeling defeated from the Broken Saints. And you can see he's just on the highway. He's kind of spacing out a bit. It's just alone desert highway. And he sees a coyote and he he reacts in a wrong way he drops the bike and he skids a little bit and and the bike's in a bad way and he's like oh shit (laughs) like what am i gonna do and uh (laughs) up drives a random lady who says like you know do you need help and we come to find out uh that it's wendy yes from sons of anarchy jax's ex-wife who was also a junkie yeah yeah uh i actually after i watched this episode i watched the first episode of sons again Basically, because I haven't revisited that series in years and years, and I wanted to see how it holds up. And and I forgot how much of that pilot episode revolves around Wendy being a junkie right. and and just, you know, the, the idea of like, because the first episode of Sons is about her giving birth to Abel. And we know that that, you know, Jax's love for his son is like such a big part of that series. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see that, you know, because Jax died at the end of Sons. And um, I think at the last episode of Sons, he gives... Wendy custody of the two kids 
And so she's been doing pretty well. And she wants to give some sage advice to Easy, even though he's really not hearing it because he's a bit of a prick. Yeah. And she calls him out on that, too. Yeah. But what did you think when you saw Wendy? Did you immediately know who it was? Uh, Yeah, I knew who it was because, I mean, she was kind of a big selling point back when Sons came out because she was like from the Sopranos and they needed like any kind of name besides like Ron Perlman obviously was a big one as well. But um, Charlie Hunnam wasn't a name back then. So, you know, they needed all they can get. And she was a big part of it at first. She left for a while, if I'm remembering correctly. I remember her being gone for a long time. But yeah, it was it was random and you know the the logic police in my head went why in the world yeah. did she just happen across him but i get it as as far as like the scenes that came from it i i really enjoyed but yeah right. it did rub up against the like of all the people and all of the gin joints in all the world you know that kind of thing um but yeah it it worked out so i i got to give you a little bit of a story you guys are probably sick of me talking about when i was on set but when i was on set <laughs> uh Elgin and I, I got to watch season or season. I got to watch episode 10, which is the finale. Uh, I got to watch some scenes from that. And in setting up one of the scenes, he wanted to tell me what Easy's mindset was. And he's like, you know, so he's like, so Easy crashes his bike and and up comes, you know, Drea DiMatteo from from Sons is Wendy again. I'm like, what? And he, <laughs> he proceeds to tell me basically everything she tells him. And I'm like, this is all great. Uh, so when I saw this, I'm like, oh, yeah. Because uh, it had been long enough that I'd forgotten. And then when mm-hmm. it happened, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what she's going to tell him and all that. But it was still really cool seeing uh, kind of how it played out because it was such a a personal and emotional discussion between two strangers. And it, and it worked for me because I think Easy needed kind of that impartial third party to to call him out on his shit. And, and she, someone some- knew exactly like yeah. the, the type of person he was. Yeah, because inevitably, and I talked to J.D. Pardo in my interview with him about this, is like people are going to forever compare Jackson Easy. Like, Mm -hmm. and and in a lot of ways, they're very similar, right? Um, I think part of that is because Kurt Sutter was the the mind behind the creation of both these shows and and the characters. But uh, as much as Easy has changed and become much more ruthless than Jax ever was, I think they're they're still very similar. And and Wendy says that, like, I see it. I see it in you. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was kind of clever of her to not say who it was. I bet you there are a bunch (laughs) of Suns fans who are like, just say Jax Teller, just say Jax Teller. Uh, She never does. And and if you don't watch Suns and you were like, who the hell is this woman? It still would have made sense because, you know, everything she says, you don't really have to know the whole history. Right. But it it obviously makes it much richer if you do. Yeah. And so Easy, after a little bit, because Easy's, like I said, he's a bit of a dick. She's like saying things like, you know, like you guys are just like little boys and she's and he's like well you guys signed up for it and he said <laughs> she says no you guys did we just were stupid enough to fall in love and it really does that's that's kind of when you watch these shows and you see what happened to Gabby you see what's happening with Sophia you see what happens with in Sons with Opie's wife and the very uh who's it Tara and 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 obviously Wendy you see that all these women just fall in love with these outlaw guys and they pay the price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like when she's kind of the, the you men get to be children all your lives, beating your chest, throwing your tantrums. We just have to clean up the mess, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That, and, and she says nine years later, I'm still cleaning up my ex's mess. Yeah. Which because I mean, she's still got the kids. Yeah. 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 
I mean, we don't get to see Abel and I forget what the other kid's name is, but you have to assume that just the the trauma that they had to have growing up uh, without parents or with, you know, Wendy, but without Jackson and, and kind of living in the shadow. You have to assume because she says that uh, they ride dirt bikes and she hopes like never on the the Harleys. But you have to assume they still live in the shadow of of Jax Teller, who died kind of a, a saint, right? Like a martyr. Yeah. The Teller oh, yeah. book is coming next fall. To- I, hey, I wouldn't put it past him, to be honest with you. Me either, man. So she she seems to be in a good place. She's talking about how, you know, having a family, the kids, that's all she ever wanted. And she says to him, like, it's right in front of you what you're missing. And she tells him to go go home and kind of profess his love to his his girl, because he says, like, he has this really interesting line where he says, like, I feel like there's this snow between me and everyone else, like a gray veil. I can see the world. I just can't touch it. And she's like, dude, that's just trauma. <laughs> which I'm so happy that she said that because when he said that, I'm like, dude, that's just trauma. Uh, yep. So it was nice that, that she called him out on that too. And, and you know, they all have trauma. Oh, you're kidding me. They have piles of it. Yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, so their, their little scene ends when she finally gets him to a, like a mechanic or whatever. And he says that, you know, they're going to give him a ride back to his bike and get it all towed to Santo Padre. And she says, bye. And, and presumably we'll never see each other ever, ever, ever again, but it was nice while it lasted. And then easy, uh, we'll skip ahead there. Easy goes back home kind of, uh, hold on, hold on. Do you think the coyote was there to to represent? Do you think that was Jax getting in his way to be like, you need to talk to my ex-wife? <laughs> no, no, no. I think if you want to get real weird about it, because uh, <laughs> again, on my second viewing, I the logic police in my mind was thinking the same thing as you. Like, how is it, Wendy? I almost thought that like you could say he was maybe concussed or knocked out and you know, maybe he's misremembering all of this, right? Like it wasn't windy and, and you know, it was something else or, or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the coyote represents other than just an obstacle. <laughs> Regardless, Easy goes back home, tells Sophia that he loves her. He explains that everything's crashing down around him. He finally just basically comes clean and says, look, I'm falling apart, but all I know is that I love you and I don't want you to ever leave me. And she's like crying and she kisses him and says she loves him and they have sex. Yay, love making. Or as Mike put in our notes, they make sweet, sweet love. <laughs> It'll be a little colorful with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was very sweet. So so easy at this point going into the finale is seems to be in a about as good of a place as he can. Uh, by easy standards, absolutely. But by everybody else's standards, the guy's barely holding on. So, <laughs> I mean, he's he's having the best day ever, you know, really just a, a light crash, uh, some gun to your head and, you know, a little bit of love making. That's a good day for easy. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so so let's talk about the end here. So Isaac, as we mentioned earlier, says that he wants the the minds to feel the loss of a brother. We then get a couple scenes. Well, the first scene is the sons knock down angel's door of his house and they're going through his house. But as we know, angels at Felipe. So he's not there. They seem very, uh, the sons seem disappointed, but I don't know about you in my mind. That was the confirmation. He's going after angel and me thinking, Oh no, it's happening. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. These last couple scenes, my like heart was in my throat, man. It was just like, not Mav, not Mav, not Mav. Yeah. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Crazy. Uh, so we get to the the final scene, and it is well, it's not the final final scene, but it's the second to last scene. We get to Felipe is is uh, kind of cleaning up around the house. He's putting Maverick down for nap or for bed, and he goes to the kitchen because we we would later find out that the angel was coming back with some food. So he's setting up a couple of plates for them to eat dinner and he hears the sons burst in. And because this isn't just any old man, this is a guy who knows how to defend himself. He immediately turns off the lights like a badass, goes to his room, gets his revolver, gets his sawed off shotgun and decides to take the fight to them. So Mike, Walk me through this. When you see this happen, what were you thinking? I was hoping he was just going to solve the problem of the sons altogether, you know? Take How awesome would that have crew. been? How I awesome mean, would you don't mess with uh, Edward James Almost or Felipe, but uh, sadly, it does not go that way. No. You, you get a really terrible, heartbreaking scene of him holding him as yeah. he's dying. Yeah. Oh. So, so yeah, Felipe comes out guns blazing. He gets one guy, it looks like, with a shotgun blast. At least. Um, and then he's shooting at Isaac and Isaac hides behind a lazy boy and pops up and says, that was rude, which <laughs> so Isaac, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the man, the man is, is unhinged. Uh, if there ever was a character <laughs> that was unhinged, it's Isaac. He just wanted to, you know, come in and kill some people and you have and to he, shoot at him. And he says so much. He says, we're not here for you, old man. We're here for your, uh, for your son. So they fire, they return fire back and we don't know yet, but Felipe gets hit. He runs back to uh, Maverick and, and hides in Maverick's room, holds him, guns in his hands. And they hear Maverick crying and Isaac is clearly intrigued, which is scary. Yeah, and the son's trying to talk him out of kidnapping him. <laughs> yeah, Boston Terry steps up and says, dude, what are you doing? Angel's not here. We don't need to be here anymore. Let's just go. And then it kind of cuts. And uh, were you thinking, uh, this is it, Maverick's going to be kidnapped? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Isaac is a freaking monster. So the fact that he left him, I, I'm shocked just by that. But I'm glad that, you know, Angel and Mav got, you know, reunited quickly. Because yes. so, <laughs> episode so, 10 was going to be heartbreaking. if they Oh, were. my God. So, so Angel's driving back home. He sees the, uh, he sees the police uh, lights rushes back and and they're outside of his house. He's freaking the fuck out. The cops are dicks as cops are. Sorry. Um, <laughs> they're like holding this guy down and like holding him on the ground. And he's literally yelling, my boy, my boy's in there. My boy's in there. And they're like, fuck you, dude. What are you doing? Stop resisting. And, and then Maverick comes out and, or being held by a cop and, and they let him go. And, and we, we, we see that Maverick's okay, which is great. But then we yes. see that they they bring out a body in a body bag we assume is uh, Felipe. Yeah. Well, we know. Well, actually, I guess there were sons in there. I, I you just yeah. The way they the way they hold on that 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 shot, you have to assume it's Felipe. They're not trying to to do a 
you know, right. like what are the, the what, what would the other outcome been? This is a son's guy and they kidnap Felipe and torture. Like, we don't need that. I think I think that was Felipe. I don't. Yeah, I think it was. And I think it's a very Elgin James way of doing things. We don't need the final scene of watching Felipe's eyes close as he's holding Maverick or or anything flowery like that. The all Angel gets to see if his dad is uh, a body bag. Yeah. Which is, I mean, again, one like, hell of a way to go, man. It is. And I goes. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of enjoyed it in that sense. Like at least because we had been hearing about how badass Felipe was for five years. There's the one scene last year where he goes to Easy's uh, trailer, like he's going to murder him. And Easy puts the gun up to his head and says, like, you know, pull the trigger. Show me, you know, show me who you were or whatever. And it doesn't mm-hmm. happen. But this time we actually do get to see Felipe kind of stand up for himself. And it's kind of nice, even though it doesn't go well. <laughs> a brief, wonderful moment with a sawed off shotgun. Yeah. But hey, shotguns work, apparently. He took down <laughs> at least one, like you said, at least one. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Fade to black as they do. And we're left wondering what's going to happen. So what will, I guess, what do you think's happening? What do, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, man. I mean, I easy's mean, pissed, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, man, I mean, it's it, all of it is swirling right now. The the uh, the FBI, like deputy inspector general, the the cartel stuff, the sons versus Mayan stuff. I thought at least one of those storylines would have resolved by this point. Mm-hmm. So we were more we're a little more focused going into the the finale. But no, this is like full steam ahead every all the shit is still hitting the fan yeah and we've got one last ride and we do know that it is an extra long episode for the finale yep so they have plenty of time to to wrap things up i don't i don't think they're gonna have any dangling ends or anything there's not gonna be (laughs) i think they're gonna wrap everything up but uh yeah i i I, yeah i don't know i it's it's gonna be interesting for sure i think i think easy's pissed if you think now uh if you remember back what was it? Two episodes or one episode? Easy's final moment with his dad is that silent church scene. Oh yeah, that was it. They didn't even say goodbye or anything. You know, like that was it. So life. you got yeah, you got to assume Easy's going to uh, to to really want to take the hurt to Isaac. You know, and I don't he, know that Easy has very good odds making it out of the series alive. No, no, <laughs> I I would. I, I think we said this last episode, there's so many guns aimed at easy right now, figuratively that he's not, he can't, he can't dodge every bullet. He can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, like because... I said, as long as bottles and Maver, okay. And or our uh, angel and Maver. Okay. And then our sweet, sweet bottles makes it out alive, man. If bottles dies, we riot, man. If bottles dies, we riot. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll pick this up next week and, and really, and talk about the fallout because I'm a sure I'm, I'm a sure I'm sure that there are going to be some uh, some bodies piling up, especially if Lincoln Potter has his way. So we'll see. Yeah, Lincoln and Isaac. Yeah, 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 yeah. God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easy's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> the end. The end. Uh, yeah, he is. Okay, so stick around if you're still listening to uh, wait a couple a couple seconds here. We will uh, wrap up and then I'll play my interview with Sarah Bolger. We talk about Emily as we go into the final episode. It's really interesting to hear her take on things. And spoiler, she's kind of bummed that she never got to ride a motorcycle. So 
sad. Oh, yeah, she hasn't, has she? No, no. Never got to ride a motorcycle. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. And we will uh, reconvene next week. For the final episodes. Dun, dun, dun. So you have a unique perspective on the show because your character kind of by design always is outside of the club activities. So do you watch the show and see the people like going to the clubhouse, riding motorcycles and wish that Emily would have had a chance to play in that world at all? Well, last night I was even watching um, Emily Costa do her bit and her join um, sort of broken saints to a degree. And I was like, oh, my God, everyone almost gets to be near a biker club. <laughs> so I get very jealous of that aspect just because that is like the bones of the show, you know, that's that's such an important factor to the show. So I've I mean I've never Charles, I've never even been on the back of a bike wow. in five years of being on Mayans MC. Uh six annual years. So for me, there's just this, I mean, there's this huge amount of um joy I get from playing Emily and from um, being that part of the storyline and being the world of the cartel and and showing that side of 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 the series but also I I do just love so much like the cut and the t-shirt and I just think it's so cool and I'm, I'm I mean I'm very into the show so I I just get jealous about essentially all the scenes I'm not in well maybe in an alternate universe Emily is part of the the Broken Saints. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so so let's talk. Diverse. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, that cartel side of things, and particularly Miguel and Emily's relationship. Uh, yeah. It's it's safe to say it's never been great, but even in season one, it felt as if like Emily and Miguel were weren't exactly like full of romance for each other. So I I just want to know: Do you feel like Emily ever really truly loves or loved Miguel? I think that. Emily was a person who fell into a bunch of circumstances, right? Who who fell in love with Easy and got caught up with potentially waiting for him while he was in prison. I think she fell for Miguel and fell into his lifestyle. So I think there's a little bit of Emily mirroring the people around her. And one of the brilliant things Elgin has helped, uh, has created and has helped me sort of show on camera is the development of a person who fell into other people's lives so easily that she didn't create one for herself. And that's really what, you know, series season five is about, is about Emily breaking shackles of past mistakes, past errors and past reoccurrences and developing her own truth and her own future. And that's, I mean, that's her goal for for season five whether or not she gets there is another thing but that's her goal yeah so do i think she loves i do think she loves but i think it's more loves what loves what they make her loves the life they give her uh loves the chaos she's thrown into i'm not quite sure she's been in love with miguel and certainly not recently (laughs) right right so there are still a lot of fans out there who think emily and easy kind of are meant to be but I feel like the show has made it very clear that these two are kind of just too far gone from each other to even consider another chance. Yeah. So do you think if Easy just never went to jail that Emily and he would have had that kind of happily ever after? I do, actually, because I think that they are similar people, even even, you know, even throughout their aging process. They 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 sort of have 
there's a there's a thing about them where they're both survivors you know they're both people who are thrown into circumstances and and able to sort of swim their way out and maybe it's swim down sometimes maybe it's not swim up to the light but swim down to the deep deep darkness and I think they both have done that to survive and to thrive um specifically you know in season four and season five specifically for easy so I do think they are similar I do think that life would have worked for them um again multiverse things if and when that that world could have happened uh, I do think there was a chance that they both would have found happiness, whereas I think throughout the show of my minds, they both struggled to find true happiness. Yeah, that's kind of you mentioned uh, in the last question, you said that, you know, Emily kind of mirrors people and, and has never really kind of fallen in love, but just, you know, has been a victim of circumstances. Is that is that sad to you? Or like, how do you, when you play the character, do you ever like kind of feed off that sadness that, that Emily just hasn't really ever found herself? I think that there's a, yeah, I think that's a deep sadness because I think that she has brought her child into this life that she didn't really build. Like the foundation wasn't hers. She fell into it. She she absorbed herself in the, in the maybe in just even the drama of it, in the chaos, in the, in these worlds that can be very enticing sometimes. Um, specifically the cartel, right? Like money, wealth, property, power. These things can be an aphrodisiac. And I think there's something really sad about the loneliness you've seen in Emily, specifically sort of like ending season three, just her not being able to really look at herself in a mirror, knowing she's brought her child into this world to which is not substantial and is not sustainable. I think yeah. those are the things that are really the crux of my, like the breaking heart of, of Emily for me. I think that's what sort of is the the well of her sadness. So I, I do want to talk about season five. So there's a great scene uh, in a recent episode where Emily is talking to Dana Delaney's character mm -hmm. about what it's like to be a mom and how being a mom is terrifying, but also yeah. you'll do anything to protect your children. And it really feels as if Emily's kind of giving her own like personal, like, uh, description of her situation and herself. Right. So when when you read that scene, were you excited to have that moment for Emily, especially in a time where it feels like Emily's trapped? Yeah, because I think there's you know she's talking to the feds in that moment, so there's a there's a truth to I am I'm screaming on the inside, right? And all she can anyone who will listen almost there she's stuck in this castle, this these high walls that Miguel has put up around her. There's no escape. There's no freedom. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. So that scene for me was a, a real like, um, you know, brain stream of conscious uh, consciousness for Emily. And I, I loved it. And uh, I was so proud of that scene. Yeah. So as I watched the early episodes from the season, we, we, we saw Emily plan an escape, uh, even going so far as to ask Easy to supply a vehicle. Uh, it obviously it didn't work out, but I'm curious what you think might have happened if Emily and Cristobal were able to escape. Uh, do you think that they could have stayed away from Miguel or would it have ended up kind of like last time? Yeah. I mean, knowing, you know, because the last time there was a there was a glimmer of hope in, in season four that Miguel was not alive. That that was that was the glimmer of hope. Even though Emily didn't truly believe it, there was the reality that Miguel had to sort of stay, keep his head low. And now he doesn't. He is in what he believes to be a power position once again, to which he has left Emily out. 
Like he's left Emily, who one who once was in the inner circle. She's no longer. She has no authority. She has no voice. She has no say. She has no power. Um, so really, it's just desperate ploys of pulling threads and hoping it loosens loosens the ties. But in truth, I I don't think it would have been. I think it would have been a fleeting freedom to um to come to a crashing end sadly and probably would have been her you know early early season five demise most likely yeah yeah uh so in episode seven we we finally get to see emily kind of let loose a little bit uh she murders a woman um (laughs) and well the woman uh we were talking about it in our discussion in that episode we were talking about how you know, this woman was crazy to even threaten Emily so bluntly like that. And and yeah. especially with taking away Cristobal. And and so we get to see Emily kind of unload this rage that, you know, probably is, is a lot more to do with that situation. What was that like to shoot? And were you uh, kind of excited to get your hands dirty, so to speak? Yeah, I kept telling Elgin, I was like, this is my favorite day on set. And I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those days that there was, um, like a shocking amount of joy on set. Like everyone was in insanely good spirits for such a harrowing scene. And I think that's probably a coping mechanism um, of of everyone's just in in dealing with trauma and dealing with um, sort of like that amount of rage that had to come from Emily. Um, there's something cool about that scene because I think she truly goes into it. Emily go- walks into that room uh, to talk about Marlon and to talk about that death as if, there's a way she could talk her way out of it. Um, because again, she has no, she has no people right now in her back pocket to, to do the dirty work. And Emily has never got her hands dirty. God bless Easy, he's the one who does it for her. He's the one who like keeps putting his hand in the pot and getting bitten every time she asks him to do something because she's scared, she doesn't know you know, if, if Emily goes and kills someone, that's Cristobal taken away from her maybe in a different in a different aspect. So in this scene, I think there was just this blind white rage that filled my brain when she was talking, this ringing in my ear. And it legitimately happened on the day too, where I, I felt powerless. And I felt that powerlessness of my situation and of my marriage and of for my child. And it all compiled together for that beating scene. And it was, yeah, it was, it was sort of cathartic for Emily of, of five years of, of not being able to unleash a part of herself. And then also simultaneously sad because in the last moments where Emily's looking at this woman who she's, she, who she's hit over the head with a rock, the acknowledgement of who she actually is and the truth of Emily is that she was actually not built for that, but she's capable of doing things she never thought herself capable of. Yeah. So there's a scene in episode nine uh, that doesn't involve Emily, but I think it speaks to how the women on the show are, are presented. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the scene with Easy and Drea De Mateo as Wendy. Uh, mm-hmm. And she basically says that women aren't just bystanders in this outlaw world, but they're the ones that kind of clean up the messes and keep everything going. And I think we saw that a lot, especially in the first three seasons with Emily kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, being willing to get her hands dirty and to run the family and to, you know, do all that. What do you, how do you think Emily kind of fits into that sort of with uh, this idea that, 
you know, sure, this is she got her hands dirty finally this year. But for the most part, she's had to kind of just sit back and kind of clean up the mess. Well, I think she I think like season two, I really thought she thought herself part of the cartel, like really dug her heels in and said, this is who I am now. This is what I do. Um, even though that's not true, but that was really just a, a a shield for Miguel, you know, to keep his wife lying for him, keep his wife close, keep a promise of freedom. And, and, and I think for Emily, even though, yeah, she did get her hands dirty and she did, she did, she was not innocent. She was not an innocent bystander any at any point of the show however she probably believes herself to be at a certain point she probably believes herself to have been on the outskirts of corruption when really she's probably just as corrupt as everyone else um but you know the women on the show are, are the most amazing women and most amazing characters i'm just excited to get to be one of them well i want to ask you about that because uh we met earlier when I moderated a panel at ATX uh, several so weeks ago. Fun. Yeah. And I asked you this question and I would like to hear you talk about it again, but, but I really do enjoy how the women are used in the show because yeah. they're, they're given such great stories. They're given agency. And this is still a show that's filled with macho biker guys. So what's it like to play such a nuanced layered female character in a show that's really dominated by kind of uh, masculine energy and these big guys? Look, for every you know for every masculine energy I think there's an equal feminine energy in the show and I and I I love that about Mayan's MC I mean yes the MC is filled with men but that is that's the rules of the motorcycle club that's the rule of um of the Mayan's clubhouse and I am so uh I you know I watched episode seven last night watching uh, Carla's moments with with Minnie and and that sort sort of sto- story arc and we're so moved uh by you know that love and that power and that like, violence. And it was amazing and, and um, just thrilling really to see it and to see that character come to her own end by her own hand essentially and how beautiful and poetic that is. And I just think that's such a testament to our writers and to Elgin and to our to amazing directors because there is a, there's an elegance to the story that is, that is very feminine and uh, beautiful and moving and powerful and the fact that I get to be a woman on this show that has, you know, depths and despair and courage and kindness, but also fragility and fierceness. It's just, it's a, it's a dream. And I'm, I've got to do 50 episodes of a show that I am, that I would have been lucky to have done one, you know? And uh, I think all the, I think all the women feel that way. Yeah. So uh, going back to to this season a little bit, we've seen Emily as the prisoner in Miguel's world for for much of the season. But now, uh, after she murders the lady and, and covers it up, there's this uh, kind of spark that is shown with within that relationship. And and we do finally get to see kind of Miguel even behind Emily's back, seemingly wanting to do the right thing for his family. Obviously, we, we can't talk about the finale, so we don't know what happens. But no, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious if you believe there's ever a world where Emily and Miguel could go back to how things were and kind of be that that family again. I think that so much of their relationship was damaged in in her leaving, and then in essentially in all the kidnappings of Cristobal, who has been kidnapped more times. <laughs> Isn't that funny to say? <laughs> Than any other person on television, <laughs> he has been kidnapped so many times. Um, 
And I, and you know what? I think in, okay, if Sarah is talking as, as someone who, re- who reads the script and not, as, not Emily the character, I think that there is a safety to Miguel, right? That Emily doesn't want anymore. There is no, there is no leaning on people. And it is a constant reminder to have this man behind her back, you know, stroking her hair, giving her affection, that it looked that way two years ago. It looked that way. It looked like he loved me. It looked like he cared for me. It looked like he put the family first. And that was never true because something like, you know, the MC, something like the cartel, it gets into your bones and it runs your life. And family, even though the show does a brilliant job of pushing that forward, it does sometimes take a second seat, uh, like a passenger seat to the violence and to the chaos um, because you think you're protecting it, right? But you're just, you're sort of like digging deeper down into this void. And I think Emily is sort of seeing herself in a new light, seeing a light maybe at the end of the tunnel and knowing that Miguel is only blocking her from being able to be her true self. So I want to I want to ask uh, some general questions here because uh, we're we're approaching the end of the show and no. you've you've acted in a lot of big projects for for many years already, yeah. but what's interesting and I think really special about Mayans is that you're working with a lot of people who aren't classically trained actors, um, but I feel like a lot of these people have stepped up and shown how great they are. Uh, as someone who's been on huge sets with big names, what's it like to be part of something? where you're part of a show that often relies on new or untrained actors and, and watching them grow. Well, geez, what I'll say about minds. And I mean, I feel this way. And as I said, I, I mean, I've been acting since I was the age of five. I think the level of gratefulness on the set is, is really like, um, is, is totally infectious and insanely beautiful and moving because yeah, so many, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a nice little chunk of the cast that, who this was maybe like their first job or second job. But like everyone stepped up to the plate. Like the, the show's acting is so spectacular and authentic and moving and brilliant. And uh, I mean, by, by season two, you wouldn't have even known that people were were sort of like, you know, maybe this was their like, you could t- count on one hand how many times they were on a set. Like that's, but that's not the way it went. Like people were so... Ex- feeling so experienced and feeling so um, connected to their characters already in a way that is kind of magical. Um, so I have to admit, like, it's just not something that I've ever truly noticed. Like people are just uh, so talented. Um, this crew, cast and crew are so insanely talented that um, that it, it almost has felt no different than any other set. That's great. And and you mentioned the crew and I, I do, uh, I know we talked about this again at the, the panel, but I do would love to give you some time to talk about the female contingent of uh, and the crew, uh, you know, the DP and the writers know, and just everybody. Yeah, so I mean, what was that like for you uh, acting and, and working with these people? Well, like, okay. So even like, just, I think, you know, when it's even talking to you about when I think about our set, it is, on camera doing the acting is is amazing and there's people like Vanessa and there's people like Allison they're one of our directors and there's these insanely talented kind considerate women who are there pushing you forward supporting you helping make decisions helping you feel you know feel supported and feel powerful and feel safe and these are also wonderful and then we have people like 
Jess, who's our costume, who's my who, um, one of our costume department, who is so talented and wonderful. And I just have, I'm surrounded by women who make me feel safe every day, like who make me feel like there's there's a friendship and a community and it's it's been incredible like it's truly 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 the first thing uh i missed the second day we stopped filming mayans you know yeah so so my last question over the years we've seen emily grow like we, we've talked about from the dutiful wife to fierce protector and kind of a badass in her own right um and now we're approaching the end of the show only one episode left how would you like fans to remember emily um, I mean, I think if I was going to give you just a word, I would like you to think of her as human. Because I think that there is a lot of like pomp and rigor that went into previous iterations of Emily, putting on different skins and, and, and looking in the mirror and trying to possess different traits that maybe she was, that she didn't have naturally, right? That she had to, she had to feign to make people think she was meant to be in the position she was in meant to be in love with the person she was in love with. I think free is another thing that I really want you to think of Emily, however that ends for her. I think she's free of all the all the people who she was leaning on for support and gives her son a hopeful freedom. And again, that it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't mean anything except for just the internal piece of knowing you have finally maybe done your child right so thank you so much for for speaking with me uh oh, I, so lovely speaking with you <laughs> i and we had so much fun in austin with you what a lovely time it was great yeah and uh in and i think everybody's kind of excited to see where where emily ends up so thank you again thank you so much such a wonder uh, so wonderful talking to you and i hope to chat to you again soon